Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 29th, otherwise known as Square Dance Day. Not food and not good. Did anyone do that in school? Because in yeah. elementary school, once a year, it was Square Dance Day. Oh. They would bring in that, or it might have been, been a whole today. week. It could, it could be. Now that I think about it, it was probably longer than just one day because they brought in hay bales mm. and filled the gym with hay bales. And we would dance around the basketball court to country music. Yeah. I think we did a little bit of that, like maybe in PE or something. Now, Mm -hmm. let's see. Is this one universal? Popcorn. Did you guys do that song? I don't, I don't remember any song in particular. It was like this, like kind of disco electronic music and and you would do this like little choreographed dance to it. No, not at all. Everything incorporated acoustic instruments. Oh, I think that... Well, yeah, this was not square dance. This is separate. I'm saying this is a oh. separate thing. But I, this must, I'm pretty sure this was Southern California curriculum. Got it. Okay, so what is popcorn? What does it it's consist of? It's a song. Of? I think you could probably find it. It's just this, like, prob- I don't know, probably from the 70s. It's kind of like disco and electronic sounding. It was, like, mm-hmm. probably very futuristic for the time. And it's boop, 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 boop. Boop, 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 boop. And you would and just do this like dance little dance. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you I could still no. do it if I put it on. I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll upload it. Throw that on Instagram. the Modern Maker Podcast Instagram. All right, I'm going to popcorn this Thursday. <laughs> All right, great. Well, while you're popcorning around, Ben, why don't you let the people know what's been happening in your world? Let's see. Still waiting on the water company to come and uh, charge me an obscene amount of money for the right to connect my container house to municipal water i have to imagine because everywhere you look out in the desert there's these giant basically above ground water tanks and that's how they get water everywhere seems like it's those are mirages buddy you're just really oh, is that thirsty. what it is so is does that mean water is exponentially more expensive out here in the desert just from the municipality it's not to to purchase it is to install given the nature of the land right it's also it's just not that common for people to build new houses from scratch. Most people buy existing houses. I, I can't remember what the the things, but I think it's less than like less than ten percent of the of of homeowners commission their house. I would think it was even less than that. You know, a gut reaction. Does that mean people outside of, I guess, developers that are coming in and and building multiple houses at once? No, because they're they're hooking those all up at once, right? So they're spreading those. Right those hookup fees across 40 homes and then passing that on in the sale price. So in some ways, I like to complain about it because it's annoying and we get used to signing up for something, paying something, and then they come and install it. But when you think about what's actually happening, we're out in a desert and there's water there. And for a, you know five to $10,000, you can come and have someone connect and hook it up and that's a pretty monumental level of infrastructure relative to the rest of the world and also relative to the the density of housing in this area. So I am both very appreciative of the infrastructure that's there that's tapped into, but I'm also like kind of annoyed that it's taking so long. So uh, still waiting on that. The, the decks are all done, which is what I was sort of working on. And right now, I am just finishing up a bicycle rack, which should be live when this podcast goes live. Uh, I don't know. Bicycle racks have always been a project that's kind of intrigued me. I like riding a bicycle, 
particularly when I'm in Santa Barbara, because, you know, nice climate, not a lot of traffic, you know, wide streets and stuff. I like the aesthetic of bicycles. I think they're a really progressive, efficient means of transportation that's environmentally responsible. But I think they're just awkward to store. Like they always take, like if you put them in the entryway of your house, they just clutter up so much space. So I made a very simple bike rack out of black iron pipe where I just take a really large T section of pipe and I just cut a slice in it. So it sort of acts as a hook and then I screw it to some posts and you can hang the bike right in there. I think what, what, what I like about it is I've seen a lot of wall mounted bike racks, which look really great, but over time, unless you're hitting all, you know, only studs are, are not, not great for the walls and where the stud is, isn't often where you need the bike rack to be. Uh, so this one uses a post, uh, down to the floor to take the majority of the, of the weight and then just taps into the wall just for stabilization. Pretty easy project, definitely like a one day build. And, uh, yeah, it was nice to do just a, a simple, easy, repeatable project. Nice. Speaking of, that's something that I'm really looking forward to doing soon. So in terms of content, because that's what we're supposed to be talking about, right, Chris? That's right. Yeah. You told in terms me. of content I have coming out, the store build out for 1032 Space back in Oklahoma City is coming out this Thursday, as long as everything goes as planned. And after that, the week, the week following that, the bathroom renovation is going to go live. And both of those are rounding out to be 15 to 20 minute videos. And if you are watching my YouTube channel, which is Modern Builds, that's something that you're probably not incredibly used to. Once a video gets past 12 minutes, that's when I usually say it's time to get really aggressive with the trim down process and maybe and cut out more than I would necessarily like to. But after trimming them down relatively aggressively, I just came to the decision that this is as much as I want to show. I don't want to show more. I don't really want to show less. And everything is moving along pretty swimmingly. There's really no individual process that takes more than one or two minutes. So in terms of just getting distracted or bored with the video, that wasn't happening. So I'm going to have two consecutive weeks. I'm not dropping a deuce. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have two consecutive weeks with over 15 minute long videos. I'm really curious to see what the existing audience thinks of them. And then what I'm really excited about is kind of looking back six months from now and figuring out terrible decision or great decision or, you know, decision that ultimately didn't affect anything. Uh, but looking back on those videos compared to the other renovation content that I've done, it'll just be good to see where they stand in comparison. Yeah. Uh, like Chris, you, yeah. you are the one of the three of us that have the longer format content, but is this something you've ever even really noticed? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I've like noticed any difference between doing longer or shorter. I think that there's probably a trend if you just look at YouTube as a whole that videos have gotten longer over the years. Right. Yeah, I think it started off as a place where there was just like little bite-sized consumable things and now people are doing more like flushed out things. I never really worry about that. Mine's more kind of what you were saying, just like the videos as long as it needs to be without either dragging out or without rushing over things. And so, so it's I mean, more those a question are, of pacing. Yeah. And so those are big projects that you're working on. So I think they deserve to be a longer thing. And I think most people will appreciate it. So, I mean, like, it's probably going to be the type of thing, like you were saying, looking back on it in six months, you probably won't really be able to see a difference one way or the other, but maybe like erring to the side of it was a good thing. Right. Well, we'll see. Either way, though, uh, having these longer 
longer production times and the longer edits themselves has made me excited to do a couple of quick projects yeah. before I start the the school bus, which is why I'm back out in California. So I was You're lucky announcing enough to... It. Oh, crap. I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> you want me to cut that All out? Right. No, don't bleep it out. Keep it in All there. Right. We'll, uh, we'll just pretend I didn't say anything. So you guys listening, all the listeners, don't tell anybody. But anyways, I was lucky enough to spend Thanksgiving instead of by myself out in California with, uh, with the Uedas out in Santa Barbara. And Ben's brother, Nate, who has produced some content for him, was out there. And he had been there a couple of days before we got there and just casually was building a yurt out of two by fours in the backyard. And his idea was to make this collapsible, portable yurt that could be used kind of, kind of for light duty camping or maybe some backyard hangouts, something you would do. Like Seven would love it All right. if you had that in the backyard. It's just uh, <laughs> what he built was a small yurt. It had about a three-foot tall sidewall and I think a seven, maybe eight-foot diameter. And he was kind of walking Ben and I through how he built it and some of the do's and don'ts of it. And once again, thankfully, he was totally cool with letting us make a video of it, throw it on YouTube, and probably improperly credit him for it. Um, but it was great. So I'm going to be doing a really similar construction method to what he's doing. I'm adjusting the dimensions a little bit to fit what I want it to be. But right now this, this week I'll be working on a collapsible portable yurt out of two by fours that I'm cutting into thin strips to build the frame. In fact, we've already got the frame all cut and ready to be assembled. And then after that, I'm using canvas drop cloths as the, the tent walls and the tent roof. So if anybody out there that is listening has any experience with dyeing fabrics, uh, it's something I really want to try because if you know, a canvas drop cloth is the color of canvas drop cloths, nothing too exciting. Mm -hmm. And I really want to try a two-tone kind of variation where the walls are one color and the roof is another because it'll be two pieces of fabric. And so my base level of knowledge, which is really low, just says go buy some of the RIT brand dye, R-I-T, from Hobby Lobby or Michaels or Joann's Fabrics and tie it like I would a tie-dye shirt. You know, just throw it in a big Rubbermaid tub and let it soak and rinse it. But if anybody out there thinks that that is a terrible idea or has some better suggestions, uh, please let me know. I'm also working on how to waterproof the canvas a little bit and we've come up with a couple of ideas. So look forward to that after this, the rest of this content comes out. But really, it's all about 1032 Space this week. That video is going to be live, and it's a banger. I'm really excited <laughs> about it. The video's, the video's coming out really – it's informative, and it's cool showing the build, but it's also just, I think, a fun video. Working, collaborating with Caleb and Micah, the two guys that opened the store, yeah. to kind of get a couple of little funny shots here and there to break up the build is, is always fun. That's a good time right there. Absolutely. Chris, what's yes. on your workbench or what's on your YouTube channel that's new this week? Yeah, what's what's on your editing timeline? That'll be this mm -hmm. segment, I guess. Um, so like I was talking about last week, the two ways to build the shoe bench thing. So video is about 90% edited. Should be up, I would say, Thursday. So probably the day that you're listening to this, it's up. Go check it out. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, the edit's coming along kind of like how we had envisioned it last week with the jumping back and forth rather than going chronologically through each build. And yeah, I think it's coming out pretty good so far. It's a lot of information being packed in there. So it's not um, maybe stylistically like a little drier than normal, I would say. Like, I don't think there are any little 
dad jokes or anything like that in there. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'll squeeze, that's why I watch. I'll squeeze one in at the end. I gotta. There we go. For, I gotta make up for that. So it'll be interesting to see how it does. I've actually, you you guys know I. Well, I guess we all do. We kind of obsess over thumbnails. So I've been mm-hmm. really struggling with the best way to show this one off the whole, like, I don't know, easy way versus hard way. So I got a couple ideas, but I'll probably keep playing around with that until like 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday. Until- That's the funny part, man. That's what gets people in the door. I That's know. the You can have a great video, but if no one clicks the thumbnail, you're out of luck. Dude, you know what? So actually, let's let's do thumbnail talk real quick. All right, here we go. So last week I put out that cricket video. Yeah. And it, I think I was saying it, it did a lot better than I expected it to do. Like I was expecting it. Your to initial just... thoughts were it was going to kind of flatline a little bit. Yeah. You're expecting crickets. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but man, you've been hanging out with me too much, Ben. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah. I was expecting crickets and I did not get them. No, but um, the thumbnail, I did a very different thumbnail. I just put four eyes on it and more of like a process photo had me in there. And so I'm wondering like, does that make a video do better? Like at least initially because people are like, I recognize that guy. I like him. I'll watch his video. Maybe compared to, especially now since like all of our thumbnails are starting to all look the same with like the white wall and the wood floor. And it's kind of a way to differentiate yourself, I guess. You've built up a big enough audience that you are the draw now. That's right. It's that, it's, it's that ugly mug that brings people in. <laughs> I got a face like a cricket. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's enough thumbnail talk. Uh, other than that, I've been working on this big workbench. So I've, I'm kind of experiencing what you were just talking about where like, I think I've done 200 pocket holes now <laughs> this week. So I, and, and this is, man, this has been a lot of days that I've spent building building this. Like it's going to end up being probably like, five to seven full work days to get this thing done of just like wow. a lot of very repetitive stuff. So it's funny. There's like a lot of days where like I'll work for, I don't know, eight hours building. And then I'll be like, Oh, I got like five minutes of footage that'll get whittled down to 30 seconds right. out of this whole, like, cause it's just so repetitive. It's not, it's just going to be like a quick mention in a video, but yeah, you got to sit there and do it anyway. So yeah, that, it'll be nice to, uh, work a a smaller kind of project in between this one and then another one that I'm planning out, which is equally large, which will also come out in December. That'll be a month of large projects, large shop projects in December for sure. Exciting. Exciting times. What are we talking about? Well, we have some questions. And if you want to send us a question in the future, just hit us up on Instagram and we are at the Modern Maker Podcast. We are also. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ben did Ben did this with such little effort that he messed up. It is at Modern Maker Podcast, not okay. the, no, the not the Modern Maker Podcast. Yeah. And if you want to ask us a question, just hit us up on Instagram, send us a DM, and our handle is the No the Modern oh, no, no, Maker no, 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 Podcast. No, 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 no. You don't get to do any retake. No, that's making the cut. <laughs> We're putting it all in there. Oh, I always yeah. like hesitate whether or not to say the at sign or not. Right. Yeah, yeah. just at. And we're at, at the... Yeah, it's going to become like the, it's the new www dot... Yeah, but what are you going to say in replace of it? Uh, we're on Instagram, Modern Maker Podcast. Mm, we're maybe. Modern maybe. Maker Podcast. Pod, yeah. <laughs> F it. All right, cool. So what was our question? Who was it from? So this question is from Ben P. Durack. 
Have you seen OpenDesk update to their tailor-made furniture? Oh, yeah. Remember you talking on the podcast ages ago about truly parametric designs that could be updated without any additional modeling required. This has been done in the industry for years, but OpenDesk seems to be the first embracing it with furniture. Super cool. So OpenDesk is, I've been aware of them for a while. They, they've been around. They offer downloadable plans, or you can buy these furniture designs through local artisans. I think the majority of them are all plywood, like Baltic birch plywood CNC yeah. projects. Mm-hmm. And it is a pretty interesting platform. The They got a little flack when they first came out because the prices to get these things made relative to what they look like isn't what a lot of people uh, found acceptable. <laughs> right. Because... I mean, I really like raw edge exposed plywood, and I know that Baltic birch plywood is not the same as, you know, big, big box home improvement store plywood. So I'm like, yeah, that stuff's pretty cool, but a lot of people don't want to pay thousands of dollars for a plywood table. But what's interesting is they're taking what's available with sort of cam software and uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm fully supportive of anyone that's like about sharing designs and making cool design ideas more accessible and making platforms where young designers can upload stuff and, and share ideas. So I think it's a great thing. The parametric part is pretty cool because once you have a 3D model, particularly if you're using uh, advanced software and not necessarily some garbage thing like don't even. I don't know, SketchUp, uh, you so let's say you have a table. And it's modeled. And the table that they have that you can download is 30 inches wide and six feet long. You can stretch the design or change an input and say, you know what? I actually want it to be six foot eight inches. And it updates all the part sheets or all the part, uh, the cut sheets for the CNC machine to correspond to that change in dimension. So it'll update the stretchers, everything else, and that. So that's pretty cool. I don't know. Have you guys, are you guys familiar with it? What are, what are your sort of thoughts? I'm looking at it right now. So is the update that they've implemented parametric design, that's the update that he's talking about? Or the ability Yeah, that's to one of that? them. They've also done some stuff with augmented reality where you can use the app so you could see what the furniture would look like uh, in your room. Okay. So it's kind of like a Pokemon Go thing. Yeah. So you look through the through the app. So you're looking at your phone which is then showing you a, a live video of the room that the f- phone's pointed at, mm-hmm. but it's placing that furniture in scale in the room. So you can see like what the table would look like in your dining room. Gotcha. So I was mildly familiar with OpenDesk before. Not, I'd never really paid a whole lot of attention to it. I'm actually looking at it the most that I've ever looked at it right now. And after what you said, I was just kind of looking at prices of things. And yeah, they are definitely, I think, a consumer would be, they. I think they would find the prices higher than what they were expecting, kind of like what you said. And they kind of seem a little bit inconsistent on some things. Like if it was just one person making things, I would expect a little bit more parity in the way things are priced. But some things are higher than I expected them to be. Other things end up coming out a lot lower than what I expected based on like how I'm adjusting to what I'm seeing. I think it's a cool idea. Part of me wonders if it's one of those ideas that's cooler in idea than it is in practice or who like really is the the 
good the, the person who this really is good for kind of seems like startup company type of thing more yeah. than like a okay person. so here's a question chris yeah back before you were doing youtube yeah. not to say you were doing something similar to this but you were kind of invested in the idea of creating a cnc flat pack furniture yeah. line yeah and, I and sold then some. kind of selling that directly mm-hmm. this is that but instead of actually building it you're just relying on like independent contractors that are local to the people buying it to fulfill those orders. Mm -hmm. It seems like a tough system to manage because there's now a lot of individual checks and balances that need to happen to make sure that whatever product you're advertising online is meeting the same specifications or are dealing with the customers that you want them the way that you want to because you don't want someone to think poorly of OpenDesk because independent contractor from Pittsburgh was really rude to whoever they were working with. Right. Um, so I, from the standpoint where, where you were at is like, it seems really cool. Practically though, there might be some issues. Those are the issues that I recognize, but right. it's, but the designs themselves are beautiful. And I really love the way that they separate things into what they call ranges, mm-hmm. which would be the equivalent, equivalent to kind of a furniture line. So they'll have one person or one kind of, uh, entity designing a dozen pieces for a range that mm-hmm. all work together. So if you had an office, if you had a startup, you could just say, yeah, give me the whole shebang and let's, let's have right. an office that is relatively affordable compared to going to, to a retailer maybe. Um, but at least everything matches and is consistent and customizable to an extent. No, I mean, I think that they did a really good I a really good job with it. Like, if you just told me what this was without me looking at it, I think I would imagine something a lot more, like, hodgepodgey and messy than right. what exists here. I think, yeah, the, the ideal person for it does seem like... So, say you had, like, some startup, and you were going to order all this furniture, and it was going to cost you $80,000 yeah. to outfit your office. And you're like, hey, we can just, like, buy this industrial machine for $20,000 and make it all on our own. Do you think that's how people are doing it typically? I don't know. Or- I don't know if that person really exists either, but that's like in my head, the target yeah. demo. It's strange. So whenever I look at it, my first like, oh, if I were to do this, how would I do it differently? That's t- typically how I tend to think about things. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it would be interesting maybe to open in specific markets, right? So you only sell in New York and LA initially because that, those are going to be the major markets that you're going to be in mm-hmm. for f- selling a physical good it would be possible to kind of just have a stock of all these items so that people could just buy it directly and they would ship to them, be delivered to them rather than having to deal with a third party. But I don't really know. It's all really interesting. Like, like what you said, Chris, I've kind of been peripherally aware of open desk uh, from what I had heard about it. It was more of what would you call it? Kind of a hub or a community page for sharing the files themselves rather than a retail avenue. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm going to say, and I hope people don't take this as me, like shitting all over it. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I think it's awesome that it exists. I think things like this are good for these kind of conversations. I get annoyed when people say, and I first became aware of it because I was reading something in a design magazine where they're saying this is going to revolutionize the furniture industry. Right. It's not. I am so happy. People are creating platforms and experimenting and progressing these kind of things. But the problem with this is the assumption was the technology was going to make the difference in the world. 
And that's not the case. The CNC, the 3D printer, those are not going to change the world. It's people that are going to do that. So compare OpenDesk to Instructables. They're both sort of open source design sharing things. OpenDesk has a bunch of kind of very clean, but not wildly visually inventive furniture stuff. Kind of sturdy, expensive relative to what it is products that are all kind of bland and look the same because of the material palette. Instructable has just thousands and thousands of brilliant, crazy, idiosyncratic, colorful, stupid, practical, genius, kitschy projects for all sorts of people produced by all sorts of people. And because there aren't that, there isn't that rule or that technological constraint. And it's why people in sci-fi movies always get them wrong is because they see one strand of innovation and they don't imagine the countercurrent that's going to stop it or or going to be like, well, we're kind of sick of 3D printed meals. So <laughs> here's my food analogies. Here we go. We can't always eat Soylent. Right. I got two. Oh, baby. Two food ano- analogies. Wow. So the first one was there was like a 3D pancake printer that I saw at like some sort of uh, Google event. Whereas in like the cafeteria and it could like, you could take a picture and like print your face and a pancake. <laughs> yeah. Pancake was like, you know, IHOP or Denny's level quality pancakes. It just had the novelty of this thing. So did the technology make it better or did it just make it kind of gimmicky? And with these tables, if you didn't know that they were made from a CNC machine, you'd just be like, all right, they're okay. But you have to really believe in that sourcing mm-hmm. and that like, Come, it, you have to believe in the aesthetic that it came from a CNC and it was downloaded and really think that that's cool in order to appreciate the final project. All right, so here's um, a question before you go to the next food analogy. Why is it that, and I, I get it aesthetically so everything matches and whatnot, but every time I've seen any company advertising, like what I was mentioning earlier with you, Chris, is like flat pack CNC furniture or, or what OpenDesk is doing, Mm-hmm. Everything is made out of three quarter inch Baltic ply. Why is no one doing laminates over the plywood to give to introduce some color or to introduce a new material? Why does I'm, everything have to be the same three quarter inch plywood? I mean, I think the first. So, let me first say that I used cherry and walnut plywood Whoa. for mine. Nice. <laughs> Changing okay. the game, and it wow. revolutionized furniture. By the way, yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> it never did been revolutionize. the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, but actually the first thing that popped in my head, and this isn't quite that. This is like a very high-end version. Are you guys familiar with Kerf? No, they make I'm not. Like, okay, go just search Kerf Wall. I think it's a company in maybe Seattle, and they mm-hmm. do these like wall systems that are all CNC fabricated, oh, yeah. and there's all sorts of different. And they do a lot of like solid laminate veneering that'll be like on the inside or just like little pops of color. It's probably nice. over Baltic birch plywood. They kind of are, I, I think that they elevate this look the most that I've seen it for like some comp, a company that's mass producing this kind of stuff and, and their stuff, you pay for it. Like, you know, it's, it's not cheap stuff, but so it's for really the listener, nice. so for the listener that doesn't know what we're talking about is Kerf wall, K E R F. Yeah. And essentially what they've done is if you've scrolled through Pinterest and you've seen pegboard walls, it's similar to that. Basically it's a giant piece of plywood that has notches cut into it. And then you can have open shelving or any, it's, it's just a modular shelving system right. where what hangs is held in with wooden pins and there are like, it's like a mortise and tenon system for mm-hmm. open shelving. Yeah. That's cool. a good way to put it. 
I forgot what I was going to say after that, but yeah, that was my oh, point. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have derailed you that. I don't so think I, there was anything else to be I honest. Came in, if I came I'll, in I'll, with a beautiful description of Kerf, you would have been happy about it, but I, I didn't do so well. I didn't I'll, deliver. I'll answer your question, Mike. Yeah. With another food analogy, please. Okay. So no, why it, is no one switching up from three quarter inch Baltic birch plywood? Because they built it on a platform for accessibility, but the accessibility is compromised by the specific technology that they developed the accessibility for and adding another variable will disrupt that even further Mm. right so if you're going with sort of the open source design approach that's why i think like instructables work so well because it's just no rules because the minute way you create some rules you might as well you need perfect rules Mm -hmm. so it's a challenge uh the, the minute you sort of limit what can be done because you're focusing on certain things then those things better be really good. And then the more variables you add in and the more consumer flexibility, the more it kind of reduces the efficiency of the system. I see. It's the yeah. same reason why modular houses have never really taken off except at the low end of the market. Because the minute you introduce consumer choice, the cost efficiency is lost. And then you might as well just do a site-built house. And I know there's a ton of designers out there that say, no, 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 they could work, they could work. I'm just telling you the reality they have never accounted for more than 20% of the homes built in the U.S. And that's m- primarily at the lower end of the market, and uh, at least for whole modular homes. Every house is prefab to a certain, to a certain point. So right. it's that fine line when you're trying to create this sort of universal system, you're hitting this middle. Another company that tried to do something different uh, was Graycork, where they, were, they raised a ton of money on crowdfunding, and they're trying to make this like Casper uh, model, uh, very similar to what Floyd is doing, where you just sort of go online, you buy a sofa, it gets set to you, it assembles in minutes, not hours, like an Ikea sofa. But they went under because they, they did a good job of making a really simple sofa, but it cost too much for what it looked like and you know ended up uh, uh, not working out. So this is incredibly hard to do. So many people think they can do it, and the the entrepreneurial history of designers trying to do this kind of stuff is littered with with failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say, and again, I'm not saying OpenDesk is a failure. I think it's an awesome success. It's progressing an argument, but I think there you'll never see these kind of things populated everywhere until they can get the prices down to IKEA. Because if you look at it just from a really cold outcome. Yes, you'll see them at Google and you'll see them at a few things, but that's only because people are excited about the technology and the, the ethics behind it. But when it comes down to it, you look at their little like cubed cubbies. Mike, you did a video for Dwell, which showed a much cheaper way to make that. That's just as simple and probably takes about the same amount of time using much simpler tools. Right. And you can also go to Ikea and get it in a whole bunch of different colors, way more professional finishes for a fifth or a tenth of the price. Yeah, so what does really make me excited about the idea of Open Desk though is that it's it's sort of you guys know what GitHub is, right? For like yeah. software yeah. development. I feel like if they skewed heavier towards that about being this like open source website where CNC furniture makers can kind of collaborate, share ideas, learn from one another, all of this, I think that would be amazing because right now, to their credit, uh you can go onto Open Desk, download the plans for just about, if I'm correct, every piece of furniture that's on their website download it, throw it into your CNC and build it. So that's amazing. And I'm kind of surprised that they haven't tried to monetize that end of their site. But the fact that it's not is, 
I want to give them a huge kudos for that. That's that's really awesome. Yeah, and and, and that's what I love about it is that it's 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 built with a with a purpose. But yeah, I I I, I think you nailed it. Like I think its potential is as a peer to peer kind of sharing things. Um, I think that's the the ultimate value more than as a consumer solution. When I did my plywood table, the the table that you can make out of one sheet of plywood with just a circular saw and a drill, I was thinking about OpenDesk a lot. And I was sort of thinking of, I liked what they were promising. I didn't think they were delivering it. And I was curious as to whether or not I could do something that I feel is actually delivering on that sort of universally available kind of design thing. The other thing is I don't, I like CNCs a lot. I mean, I think they're really cool. Just because you can make flat pack furniture, I don't think that necessarily lends itself towards great furniture. It can, but not always. And it's not always as efficient as people sort of think either. Uh, I still think you can, you know, I I would love, it was funny, I was talking to a production company a couple of years ago, and they were asking for show ideas. And the idea that I wanted to do was a design competition that was digital versus analog. So you'd give like, three guys or three people with uh you know conventional woodworking tools and then you'd have like three people that were really good at sort of digital fabrication and they have like similar design they you know you give them a you know a a topic make make an affordable sofa out of plywood mm-hmm. and you give them a limited amount of time and see what they come up with i think both methodologies are strengthened uh by seeing what the other one's doing but they'll come up with different things if they're sort of designing around what the tools or materials are inherently good at. But what what I'm so impressed about with when I look at like Ikea furniture is that they would never make one piece of the shelf out of three quarter inch plywood if quarter inch plywood would work there. Hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're going to they're going to make every piece efficiently optimal for what it has to do. Whereas if you're cutting all out of one sheet of plywood, you're <laughs> Everything's three quarters of an inch is thick, or you're doubling it up or tripling it up. Right. Right away, you lose a lot of uh, not necessarily material efficiency because you're already committed to using the whole right. sheet, but you're certainly not optimizing for weight and uh, overall material volume efficiency relative to the structural requirements for each particular piece. Right. Yeah. I think it's just the the there's a difference in efficiency between making one and between making one hundred of something. And Ikea is doing that large scale version of it. One thing, so I don't know if this is the case, but again, just perusing through the open desk site, there's this weird, I'll use the word hard on with uh, flat pack furniture that everything, all the joinery needs to be like, you know, CNC, dog bones, all these kinds of things that fit together. Whereas like, sometimes it might be more eloquent to do it where it would say, okay, I'm just going to cut out these shapes on a CNC and like you could even put pilot holes in there, but then you're going to actually assemble it with a screw. Yeah. And, Gross. Yeah, no, there's like this weird thing, like it, you cannot do that. Like that's against the law. Right. And they often waste, kind of mat- not waste, but they'll often sacrifice material to make those joints. Because mm-hmm. anytime you make those lap joints, there's often a lot of material that isn't used because you're, you're cutting away notches that are three quarters of an inch thick. And that's just all getting obliterated in the sawdust. Right. It's yeah, not well, another usable piece. The so one I, thing I do... Oh, go ahead, Chris. As you say, yeah, on one hand, I get it. But on the other hand, it does seem like if you just like opened your mind and allowed that to be something, like there might be 
better designs that you might come up with. Right. But to, to reiterate one more time, the positive, the parametric stuff, super cool. Mm-hmm. I think the augmented reality stuff, maybe it'll get there yet. It still feels a little bit like Pokemon Go to me. But the the application where I would love to see them do more would be kitchen cabinets. That's actually one of the areas that I think would make a lot of sense because that's where people are paying you know, $200 or more per unit. Even if you're getting your cabinets from, from Ikea, they're not, they're not inexpensive. And the parametric side to fit in from remodels to all sorts of different kitchens could be pretty incredible. So I could see a way where you could scan your kitchen and pick out from a a different series of of cabinets and maybe even get the formwork CNC'd for concrete countertops and do a really cool package that way. And that would make sense because you're spending enough money to really make it make sense. But getting a little bench or a bookshelf or or even a desk, really, I I don't see it. And if you like that sort of rough aesthetic anyways, just a sheet of Baltic birch plywood on really nice steel sawhorses is a pretty nice-looking startup table by itself. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Um, yeah, totally. But regardless, we are 100% behind Open Desk and what they're trying to do. Uh, this is just kind of our initial take on it. But overall, 100% best of luck and a hundred percent. We wish the best towards them. Uh, it's awesome. And the fact that they're kind of empowering local, I guess, CNC shops to be able to maybe access a clientele that they wouldn't have been able to initially. Uh, maybe there's a CNC startup in LA somewhere that was able to work somewhere on the Google campus that they probably wouldn't have been able to do the same thing without open desk kind of being that middleman. So there's definitely upsides, but this is just kind of our initial take on it. It's a good way to put it. Awesome. Well, what are you guys obsessed with this week? Have you watched anything new or listened to any new podcasts that the listeners might be interested in? Serial, hmm. season three. Go check it out. I just finished listening to that this week, too. There we go. Uh, so, Chris, <laughs> what, is, uh, what is your obsession this week? I got a different one. I got, I got actually a food one, so it's going to be a shout-out slash obsession. So, uh, my cousin owns a bakery in the LA area called the Village Bakery and Cafe. Don't want to leave that out. And they they make like a ton of food for Thanksgiving, all the, like the desserts and meals and stuff that they sell that hoity-toity people from uh, Los Feliz go by. So they made way too many apple pies, I guess. So they gave one to me. Holy crap, this thing was so good. The, <laughs> now the difference was it was very subtly sweet. Like I'm used to, if you go and get a, even like Marie it's Callender's. It's like a Pop-Tart, but not artificial and not dry. <laughs> oh, my God. Full of There's real fruit, fruit flavors and a flaky crust, not a powdery, crackery one. Like, it was amazing. No, seriously, though. Every time I have an apple pie, even if it's like a Marie Callender's or grocery store or whatever, it's always – like, now to me, it feels overly sweet. Whereas this thing was – have you guys seen – Inglorious Bastards, there's a scene in there where they're eating like apple strudel and it has whipped cream on it. And I always remember being like, man, that looks so good for like, I don't know if it's the way that Quentin Tarantino shot or whatever, but it just looks so appealing. I remember watching it and couldn't get over how loudly they were eating. (laughs) Oh, because it was so good. Right. (laughs) Well, this was like being in the movie right there. Hmm. It was good. Nice. Shout out to the Village Bakery. Awesome. Ben, what about you? Um, I just finished season two of Ozark which is excellent. It's kind of like a mm, a less polished version of Breaking Bad with a little bit more 
little less southwestern, a little more backwoods. Uh, Appalachian. Yeah. It's it's good. And I've always liked uh, Jason Bateman. I've always just thought he was like good. And it's, it's cool to see him. I think he directed them. And it's also cool to see him sort of, you know, get away from sort of comedy and but still be the same person, but in like a totally serious uh, and very stressful uh, environment. Right. Other than that, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've just been editing, processing all the crazy uh, container house content. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you something I'm curious about. And feel free to DM me uh, your opinions if you use them already. The new GoPro 7. Uh, I've heard good things. Curious to try it. Haven't tried it yet. I think probably going to order one soon. Um, Is there some kind of like big change? Can I give you my quick opinion on it? Yeah. Okay, so I've seen some demos of it. I've seen some side-by-sides. And compared to the 6 and 7... What I've noticed is the big thing is their uh, image stabilization feature that they've come up with. And that's amazing if you're doing action footage, like if you're downhill mountain biking or if you're surfing or something like that, amazing, beautiful. But outside of that, the image quality doesn't seem to be substantially improved. Is that what the big selling point was supposed to be, the image stabilization? From what I've heard and from what I've seen, yes. So if you were asking me, I would say... Okay, so here, me, I always, or not always, but the way I typically do things is I skip a model, right? So I'll have an iPhone 6, then I'll get the iPhone 8. Or I'll have a Canon 80D, I'll wait for the next one to come out, and then I'll get the one after that. You don't want those incremental improvements. Exactly. Have you guys had GoPros in the past? Well, right now, because like the GoPro you have right now, does it shoot in 4K? Yes. Exactly, and you don't even use that. So what is what is the next one going to have that you're even not going to use more? 8K. Yeah, I think I'd like I'd like to do more handheld shots cuz the thing I oh, like okay. about it, I've never used them before this project. And what I think is so so fantastic about them particularly for building in small spaces is just how small they are and how durable they are. They're 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 just a very rugged little brick. I would use them on a tripod, but I think it would be even more handy if there's more stabilization where I could just literally get them out of the way, right? So whenever I'd put a tripod, even if it was clipped to something kind of on the wall, if you're trying to film drywall without interrupting the guys doing the drywalling, the camera's constantly getting moved. So the image stabilization would be nice for those sort of transitional shots, and I think it'll even uh, emphasize. So let's say I'm like wiring uh, a plug or something or connecting oh here's one i gotta connect the pipes from the the water meter to the house and then from the house to the sprinkler system and a lot of those things will be like connections in really tight spaces where my hands are blocking it some way Mm -hmm. i like the idea that in real time i can just be working moving the camera and not have to like sort of cut that out is what i'm thinking if the if the thing sort of you know, stable because you the the cameras are, are are flat on the side, so you can just set them by themselves. Like, let's say you're working in the cavity of a two by four framed wall, so you have two by fours all around you that are you know flat and three and a half inches wide, especially if you have the little lateral supports in there. What's nice about them as a camera is that you can just kind of set them and like be working within that thin space, but then your hands get in the way as you finish one part, and just being able to move that, I think, kind of cool and. Uh, in between, if you could sort of just, you know, instead of stopping and getting a gimbal and putting it into a gimbal to then 
waiting for the gimbal that that five second delay for it to sync up to get a smooth sort of you know oh here's what the whole joint looks like as you sort of move the camera around it being able to just do that by picking up the camera and moving it sort of intrigues me for this particular kind of work but i think you're right like i for you know stationary shots if that's the big innovation uh who cares but i haven't used it yet so if you've used one and you know of other things that we that we're missing hit me up because uh i'm thinking about getting one dude you know what'd be cool i I was having an idea while you were saying that and maybe this already exists or could exist but so imagine if it was like you had your little gopro and it was sort of a drone but a drone that you couldn't really control and fly around so you would (laughs) it, it would just like hover in spots so like say you were like, okay, I want this angle. So you'd just like kind of point it and hold it where you want it. And you'd like push a button and then it would like lock in where you were holding it in space. And then you'd like set it on the table and it would start up and it would fly to that space and shoot at that angle. So it'd mm-hmm. almost be like having like an invisible tripod. Yeah, but now you have to deal with listening to a drone all day long. Scrap it. Scrap it. It's like open desk. nothing like open desk i think open desk is much more practical anyways this week i want to shout two things out from my obsessions both are youtube channels one i know i have mentioned before and the other one might be new to the audience so the first one i want to recommend is negative feedback Um, i have recommended them before whenever i was first getting into film photography which i wish i was more involved in in my life but am honestly kind of intimidated by it to an extent But he does a lot of tutorials and demos of different film cameras and equipment, and he's just got a great eye. I think the shots that he takes are really nice and has a good way of editing videos that are not too over the top. And he has started a weekly vlog, and typically that is something that I hate when a channel does because it usually means a lot of filler content and a lot less kind of meat, and I'm here for the meat. You know, and (laughs) and anyways, I saw that he was releasing these vlogs and I gave him a shot. You know, who am I to say that they're going to be good or bad without watching them? And I've got to say they are great. I am so excited that I tuned into the first couple of episodes. Um, So if you watch vlog number one, it's great. He does a little bit of street photography, shows off the prints that he's gotten gotten made. But what he does that I think is especially interesting is he takes the camera along to where he gets his photographs enlarged and printed kind of at a poster scale. Mm. He also kind of keeps the camera on him while he's going through the different types of paper that you can print on, kind of describing why he would use it in this application or why he wouldn't in another application. And it's interesting because looking at it, you could say like, oh, that would be a great tutorial. But from his perspective, I can totally understand why he thinks that that would be a terrible tutorial that no one would be searching for and no one would watch. So if that means that you're able to get a little bit more of the, what would you say, the second layer of information, if that's if the vlog is the best way to get that out there, then I fully support it. So shout out to the channel Negative Feedback. The second one I want to shout out is a channel called Never Too Small. And I especially want to give a plug for episode 14, which is their most recent video. They are doing something that I wish I had started a long time ago. And now that they are doing what they're doing, I need to restructure how I want to do it in the future because they are doing it so well. So we've all seen 
or I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to say a lot of people out there have seen shows like Grand Design, which is a BBC produced show Mm -hmm. that is available on Netflix or World's Most Extraordinary Homes. Essentially, they are home tours where um, a production crew comes out. They do a really good job of encapsulating the aesthetic of what a home is according to the designer that built it. So they'll interview the designer or the architect. They'll get really beautiful kind of glamour shots of everything. And also they do a good job of showing the owner of the home or whoever's living there kind of interacting with it the way that they designed to kind of show the efficiencies or why they took the artistic liberties where they did. And this YouTube channel called Never Too Small does that so well. Their production quality is, I would consider on par or if not better than any TV or Netflix series I've seen in the space. And they're, I'm not going to say they're pigeonholing themselves, but they're sticking towards really, really efficiently designed small spaces, if you couldn't have guessed that by their, by, by their title. So episode 14 is a 40 square meter home, which comes out to be about, a uh, let's just say under 150 square feet, I think. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. That's not. 40 times 40. It's is 1600. 1600. But you said yeah. 40 square? 40 yeah. square what? How many meters are in a foot? Uh, the other way around. Three and a half? There's feet in a meter. Anyways, this is small space, so <laughs> check it out. <laughs> check, check it out. Go watch some of their other episodes and forgive my terrible math. I apologize for that. Anyways. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, make sure and give us a five-star review on the iTunes podcast app. That just lets the app know that we're a good show and that they should suggest us to listeners that are interested in similar content. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, at Four Eyes Furniture, and at Modern Builds Collectively. Hey guys, guess what? The Black Friday deal that we did for Maker Brand did gangbusters. Yay! That audience applause in the background is great. Thank you for putting it in there, Chris. I'm just going to go... Since I don't have that file. All right, well, we'll (laughs) use it. Either way, thank you so much, everybody that decided to make a purchase. We appreciate it greatly. And don't forget, tag at Maker Brand Co. anytime you're using Simple Finish or the bar clamps so that we can see them. And who knows, maybe shout you guys out or at least comment and talk about what you're building with it. So thanks again, everybody, and we will see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.